We're going to carry on with our series, looking at the questions that Jesus asked. If you ever go and have a look at the New Testament, you will find there are many, many, many questions that Jesus asked. And we're only going to look at a few of them over these weeks as we sort of walk up to the the, the summer term, as it were. This week, we're going to look at a question that Jesus asked, do you understand what I've done for you? That's the question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked many questions. Many times, the questions he asked revealed his heart and revealed what he wanted us to get hold of, what he wanted the disciples to get hold of, what he wanted us. It was things that were important to him. He, he didn't ask them frivolously. He, he, didn't, he didn't just flippantly say, oh, here's a question for you. They always had a, a reason, okay? A Christian, a Christ, by the way, I just want to say, Paul, uh, Paul Rass's preach last Sunday was superb. If you were not here, please go online to our website and listen to it. Uh, the most innocuous tiny little question that Jesus asked. I've never ever heard anybody preach on it before. What is that to you? Peter's question to Jesus about John, you know, what about him? And Jesus said, what is that to you? Paul's sermon was brilliant. Listen to it. Um, It's very provocative and, and excellent. But a Christian is a Christ one, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We carry his image. We carry his words. We carry his actions. We carry his heart into the world in which we live. Now we do this, not least, because we know that the answer to the world's challenges and the world's issues are, the answer is that we might have a restored relationship with our creator, the one who made us, the one who made this world. I don't know about you, but I'm just very conscious in the, in the news, day by day, even this week. I, I think without God, I wonder to myself what is going on in the hearts and minds of many people as they look at the news, as they think about, whether it, you know, whether it be in America, whether it be here, whether it be across the world. There are good things. We thank God for what seems to be happening in, in Korea and so on. But what is the answer that we might know our creator. And Jesus has revealed our creator God to us and he's calling us to be a people who are full of Jesus, full of our creator, that we might display him to the world. And we do that together with one another. Jesus teaches us together how to be, how to be Christ to one another Because as we learn how to be Christ to one another, so we will be enabled to be Christ to the world around us. Amen? I've been having some great chats with uh, John King about this, and John's John's been working away. I've got a new book for you, John, today I'm going to give you. But John was just saying to me, just saying, you know, we work this out together in relationship. We we knock the corners off of each other, don't we? We we relate to one another. We build this relationship this fellowship, this relationship, but it doesn't stay in here. It was never meant to stay in here. It's meant to be out there. But it starts here. And this question today is really at the heart of this. John chapter 13. Very famous story. This is what we're going to look at. John chapter 13, entitled in my Bible, Jesus Washes His Disciples' Feet. Very apt on the day that many of us are wearing sandals. Anyway, 
It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world, go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was already being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, still not fully understanding, just, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Here it is. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. Rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. To give our lives in a fragrant offering to the servant king. Lord, speak to us by your Spirit. Give us fresh revelation of who you are, what you have done. Come and change our lives. Come and change our hearts. Come and change our actions by your Spirit at work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Foot washing was very, very standard at this time. It's a hot, dry, Mediterranean, dusty climate. And of course, in the time of the Romans, the time of Jesus, people often reclined at the table to eat. So they would sort of lie out. There would be low couches, low tables. So it's quite possible that your neighbor's feet would be quite near your head uh, as you ate. Anyway, that was how it was. So whenever you visited someone's house, it was very normal for the host to show courtesy to the visitors by getting a servant, not the host, but getting a servant to wash your feet. It needs to be understood that it was a very, very lowly task. 
It really was. Not even some of the servants would do it. It was the sort of the task that the least of the least of the least in the household would do. Hence Peter's reaction. Now here they are, of course, gathered for the Last Supper. We understand that this meal is the Last Supper. For whatever reason, foot washing had not been offered. Maybe they'd rushed in a bit. Maybe they were busy. They hadn't really thought about it. The disciples certainly had not done it for each other because peers at this stage, at this time, would not have washed each other's feet. As I say, it would have been done by a very lowly uh, servant. It would have been unheard of of, for peers, as it were, friends, to wash each other's feet. But Jesus. But Jesus. The Son of God. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords, in the words of Philippians chapter 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to take advantage of, the translators sometimes say, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Do you understand what I have done for you? That's the question. What did these incredible actions mean? Clearly, Peter is very unsure Do we understand, even today, as we live this side of the cross, we live this side of Pentecost, we live with the Bible, do we understand? And if so, what is our response? Now, the first clue comes right there in verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He now showed them the full extent of his love. In so many ways, this foot-washing act that Jesus performed was a prefigure. It was a a big-finger arrow pointing forward. It prefigured about what he was about to do. What he was just about to do within a few days. To continue that quote from Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Yes, this was an act of humble service. Very, very unusual in the day and culture. But it was not just an act of duty, a job that needed to be done. It certainly was not one of enforced slavery. Nobody made Jesus do this. They were utterly surprised when he did. This was a free will offering of love. Spontaneous demonstration of something. Who, being in very nature God, humbled himself. See, in the end, there's no better explanation, even as the theme this morning always fascinates me how the theme of the worship quite often will pick up what you're carrying in the words. But there's no better explanation of the cross of Christ than it was the fullest demonstration of the love of God that could ever be seen. Jesus... In this act, partly at least, is pointing to that. He's pointing, showing them the full. He now showed them the full extent of his love. 
He did something that was utterly unexpected, that no one would normally do, but it was a demonstration of love. 1 John 4 verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And there's a whole sermon there. But we were separated, we were divided, we were broken. And you take that word at one atonement. We were brought back to the Father, at one, an atonement. But there's a price to be paid with atonement as well. Things are atoned when the penalty and the price is paid. We were made one. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and atoned, brought us back through the sacrifice of his life for our sins. This humble, self-sacrificing, life-giving, full extent of God's love demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter clearly did have a sense of, of who Jesus was. In the next uh, week or three, we will, I'm sure, look at Peter's great reply to the question that Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And of course, Peter replies, doesn't he? You are the Christ. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And we'll look at that in some more depth in the weeks to come. But along with the other disciples, he'd not yet fully grasped all that Jesus was about to go through. Jesus said to him, in a little while, you will understand. And of course, we read later on, it says, their eyes were opened and they began to understand. They began to understand. I want to ask you today, do you understand? Do you understand? Jesus is saying to Peter, you will understand that through my death, the dirt, the grime, the permanent stain of sin, which is far greater than anything will get on your feet today, this afternoon, if you go down to the beach or any other place, it's far, far greater than anything you'll have on your feet. I am dying that this will be removed. It will be washed away. It will be cleansed forever. As Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, his sacrifice gave us the possibility to be washed clean. Hallelujah. Washed clean from all of our sin, all of our moral filth and guilt. Just like Jesus' conversation with Peter, the question comes to us today, have you allowed Jesus to wash you? Have you allowed him? You say, oh no, Lord, you can have this bit, but no, you really can't have that, but that bit's too bad. That bit's too bad. You can't, you can't, you can't wash my feet. We, we understand where Peter's coming from. If you can get yourself even a tiny bit into that culture, it's the lowest of the lowest of the low would do this job. Lord, you, there's no way you're washing my feet. Jesus said, Peter, you need to understand I'm demonstrating something to you. Let me have all of you. Sure, you know, you're a person who's having a bath. This isn't about washing your feet. This is about me demonstrating the full extent of my love that I might wash you of the, of the, the deepest grime, of the thing that only the least of the least you might even dare to let them wash your feet. I'm coming to deal with everything in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friends, as long as we imagine we can get by without Christ's cleansing, we cannot be saved. 
Just like Peter, our pride has to die. Have you allowed the Lord Jesus to wash you? Have you come to him? In a moment, we're going to come to communion. I want us to share communion. I want to invite you today again to be reminded of that body that was broken, that blood that was poured out, that you might be washed clean. No amount of good works or religion, even Christian ministry, can put us right with God. Only the blood of Jesus can save us. The invitation today is to come to Christ and allow him to wash us. There's nothing, however ashamed we may feel, there is nothing that cannot be forgiven. 1 John 1 verse 7. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. All sin. So I do want to pray, just before we go on into some more application, but I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will give each one of us today the grace to understand what Christ has done for us. And I invite each one of us again to come freshly to him and allow him to wash us, to recognize that we have sinned, that we're dead before him, but he makes us alive through his precious blood. So, There's this once-for-all gift to be received, but there's also this call from the Lord Jesus to follow his example. To follow his example. Verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. His question is, "Do do you understand what I've done for you? I'm demonstrating the full extent of my love for you, I'm giving you an advanced uh, viewing of what I'm about to go through on the cross. I'm also setting you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, I think we know and understand, but this isn't per se about, right, in a minute Mark's going to provide buckets and we're going to wash each other's feet. We we could do that, but it, it wouldn't make so much sense in our day and our culture and how we live and how we deal with our you know, general day washing and our showering and so on. He's setting an example. He's demonstrating something. There is nothing that is beneath him to show his love. There is nothing that he will not do to demonstrate the full extent of his love. That's what we we need to engage with. That's what we need to understand. I'm displaying the exact opposite of pride. Well, there's things I like to do. I like to give a donation here and there. I like to help with the litter picking from time to time. But, ooh, that thing, not so sure I could get involved in that. Now, I'm not here this morning to put guilt and condemnation on us at all. That is not my heart. What I'm here to do is to lift up the name of Jesus. What I'm here to do is to show you and remind you again. He now showed them the full extent of his love. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around him, got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. Do you understand what I have done for you? No task, no person beneath us. Not too good to do anything that ministers to another in the name of Jesus. We often hear the phrase ministry being used. Paul talked about it last week as well, didn't he? Uh, We talk about such and such having a ministry or someone feeling called to a ministry. And that's okay. It's not a problem. It's a good, good word. Don't mind those phrases. 
But what I do know for myself, and I've been very challenged by this over many times, is that any form of ministry that a person may have is firstly something that God gives. Secondly, something that is grown, developed, and matured in the crucible of serving. Can I say that again? Any form of ministry that a person may have is firstly something that God gives. Secondly, it's something that is grown and developed and matured in the crucible of serving. I would say from my reading of the Bible, my own personal experience, that most of the time, this doesn't happen overnight. God takes his time in maturing his ministers, sometimes many years. I was reminded of a quote that uh, our dear brother Terry Virgo Um, used to use, and I've heard him say a number of times, he said this, when you're available to God, anything is possible, but you're likely to be asked to do the simple thing first. When you're available to God, anything is possible, but you're likely to be asked to do the simple thing first. See, God doesn't choose us to be stars. Stars tend to take the glory for themselves. Instead, he set us an example to follow. To be servants that we might display his glory. That he might get the glory. See, the kingdom of God, we often say this. Remember last year we were teaching on this. In the kingdom of God, it's upside down to the ways of the world. We think about what is the answer to the world today. We hear about great statements being made by politicians and so on. We think, what is the answer? In God's kingdom, the way up is down. If you want to exercise authority in the kingdom of God, you must first submit to it. Again, Jesus is modeling this, isn't he, over and over again. Think about his baptism. It's a great example He submitted, he surrendered himself to the Father. Jesus didn't need to be baptized in that sense, uh, that people were coming for repentance, their baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. He's the holy, perfect, glorious Son of God. And yet he comes to John the Baptist and he says, please baptize me. And John, a bit like Peter, you know, Peter, are you going to wash my feet? John goes, me, baptize you. It ought to be the other way around. You baptize me. And Jesus says, no, this is is good. It pleases the Father. Jesus surrendering, submitting. This is, it pleases the Father. I want to please the Father. Everything I do, I want to please the Father. Everything I want to do, I want Him to have the glory. And of course, John does catch this as we were sharing. Jackie and I had the privilege of being with the children last week or the week before, whenever it was. And we were looking at that verse. He must increase and I must decrease. And that's what John says to the disciples when they come to him a a bit later on. They go, John, John, that man who came to the river, he's now gone off and he's baptizing, he's baptizing uh, disciples. You know, what, what, stop him, John, you know, who, who does he think he is? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. I've just gone off peace completely, but anyway, that's okay. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. If we want to exercise authority, we must first submit to it. To a lot of people today, authority is a bit of a dirty word, and I I guess that we've had a lot of bad examples that's not helped our cynicism. 
But friends, we need to understand this, because authority and submission is a thoroughly biblical principle. My own theological persuasion, my personal experience is this, a clear demonstration that you are willing to submit to others, submit to one another, will come by you serving others. That's how you'll demonstrate a willingness to submit, is that your willingness to serve. But in the economy of the kingdom, as you're willing to serve, as you're willing to be a blessing to those around you, a day comes when it's quite likely that you begin to be invited to pick up all sorts of responsibility. But it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with, I'm waiting to be asked to be a life group leader. I'm sure Mark will recognize it soon. You know? And forgive me, you guys are not really like this. It doesn't really work, this illustration, but but you know, you know, I, I'm waiting. I, 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 I know that I, you know, whatever the role is, I, I don't want to pick on anyone because somebody will think I'm picking on you and I'm not, all right? But you know, I'm waiting for that role. I'm waiting to be recognized. Who being in very nature God took off his outer clothing, knelt down at the feet of his disciples and washed their feet. What does the end of Philippians say? Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place, given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I quoted Terry, when you're available to God, anything is possible, but you're likely to be asked to do the simple things first. Servants are people who will take on all kinds of roles and responsibilities which at first, glance, at first glance seem to have no relation to the ministry that God may have commissioned them to undertake, but they're willing to serve. In many ways, it simply starts with just getting on with whatever needs doing. What needs doing? Whatever needs doing. Servants will set out the chairs. They'll lock up the building. They'll mow the grass. They'll cook a meal when someone is sick. They'll care for children so that others can get to a meeting or a conference. They'll, they'll send bunches of flowers and cards at just the right moment. They'll arrange the refreshments, carry the bags, book the tickets, live in the shadows, wash the feet. Helping others to fulfill their vision. That, that point is a key point. Helping others. But do you know what? As you do that, the day comes when an opportunity comes for you to pick up in some area, responsibility is given, a window of opportunity is given by God and opens up, but it flows out of that servant heart. It flows out of the heart of Jesus. You'll find a neighbor, a colleague, a friend who will just say, why? Why did you do that? Why would you give that away free? Why would you just come round and do that without any request? Why would, why, why? Because he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. I'm just going to leave a section out. Serving comes before signs. Many of us long to move in the power of God. Many of us long to see great things, mighty things, glorious things happen. 
And those things are not wrong. Of course they're not wrong. But we need to know again, I believe, and hear again and again, godly power, godly leadership flows from humility, flows from a servant heart. We're going to see people healed dramatically. It may well be that it just starts with helping someone with their shopping, helping someone with their childcare. It may be that someone who's unwell, we just come alongside them. We offer to pray. We stand with compassion and love. And, 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 and the Lord expands it, and the Lord expands it, and the Lord grows it. You look at the many miracles of Jesus, you see where they start. They start with compassion. It's not like, right, I'm looking for the biggest one I can do today. No, he had compassion on them. Starts with compassion, a desire to serve. Many of us, I think years ago, you remember, were very struck by Princess Diana um, breaking down the whole barriers around the whole AIDS, HIV thing, and how she began to touch people. You remember that? And uh, profoundly really altered the whole, our whole understanding of HIV and AIDS. And she began to touch people. And she was very, very good at that. And of course, Jesus, incredibly, going to lepers, going to people, those who were unclean, those who couldn't be in community, those who couldn't be in the temple, those who had to be on the edges and had to be on the, on the surface of things. He touched them, he touched them, he touched them, he touched them. And of course, they reached out to him. He had compassion, a desire to serve. And we see that coming through the book of Acts over and over again. It says, Paul and the apostles were driven by a passion to ser- serve the churches. Literally, you find the phrase, they poured them, we poured ourselves out. We poured ourselves out. Paul says on one occasion, but as they do that, the power of God is then displayed through their lives. Silver and gold, I don't have. He's the guy who's there week after week, year after year. Everybody knows him, but he looked at him. Says, doesn't it? They looked at him. Um, Barn- uh, who was it? Peter. Peter and John, wasn't it? Looked at him. I don't have silver and gold. I don't have, but what I have, reaches out, touches him. In the name of Jesus. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand that the greatest among you will be your servant? Do you understand it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do you understand that greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends? Do you understand what I have done for you? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We long for God's blessing. We long to know his hand on our lives. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Just maybe close your eyes. I quoted that very, very great old chorus we used to sing years ago. Let me just read a bit more of it. It's just here. We'll come to the communion in just a moment. From heaven you came, helpless babe. Entered our worlds, your glory veiled. Not to be served, but to serve. Give your life that we might live. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. 
to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. There in the garden of tears, my heavy load he chose to bear. His heart with sorrow was torn, yet not my will, but yours, he said. Come, see his hands and his feet. Scars that speak of sacrifice. Hands that flung stars into space. To cruel nails surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. So let us learn, Holy Spirit, help us to learn how to serve. And in our lives, enthrone him. Each other's needs to prefer. For it is Christ we are serving. Do you understand what I have done for you? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your life and your death for us. It just continues to astonish and amaze us. Even as we get its tiny glimpse again of you, almighty God, on your knees, washing your disciples' feet, showing the full extent of your love, how within days you would go to the cross, stripped naked, showing the full extent of your love. Oh God, we, we do pray for our world. We pray for our town. We pray for this island. We pray for ourselves. Lord, open our eyes. Oh God, open our hearts. Help us to see. Help us to understand what you have done for us that we might do for others, that we might display you to one another and then out from here, from this place, into this town and this island and this nation and beyond. Oh, Father, as we come to this communion, we just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, again for your blood that was given for us, your body that was given for us. We thank you for the demonstration of your love. Lord, your cross was much, much more than a demonstration. It it had power and authority over sin and over death, the areas of justification and atonement and all of these great truths. Lord, but we just want to say today that as we come, help us to be mindful again of your demonstration of that full extent of your love. Help us to be a blessing to one another. Help us to serve one another, even in this communion. Help us, Lord, in these days in this town in the days ahead, Lord, help us to be those that bless one another in your name, who display your love to others, who display that servant heart. 